Hello, Health Investor. Welcome to another episode of the Health Investment Podcast. Today, you're in for a real treat because Dr. Cynthia Bailey is back. Her first episode had so many downloads and such success that I asked her to come back and clear up even more common skincare confusion. Dr. Cynthia Bailey is a board-certified dermatologist in California with over 35 years of clinical experience. Over the course of her career, she's done over 200,000 skin exams. She founded Dr. Bailey Skincare in 2009 to make professional quality skin health and skin care information accessible to everyone. Trusted physician skincare to help you love the skin you're in. Her practical skincare advice can be found on her website and blog at drbaileyskincare.com, across the web, and in numerous international print publications. In the episode, Dr. Bailey discusses facials, exfoliation, slugging, blackhead strips, face masks, and more. But before we get to the episode, I want to share one of my favorite resources with you, thrivemarket.com. I don't know about you, but I used to think eating healthy meant I had to spend a lot of time and money at the grocery store until I discovered Thrive Market. Thrive is an online grocery shopping platform that's essentially a mix of Costco, Whole Foods, and Amazon. Since Thrive delivers groceries directly to your door, they're able to cut out all middle people and heavily discount their inventory. When I buy groceries on Thrive versus going to my local supermarket, I save at least $20 per order, and I'm able to fill up my cart from the comfort of my couch. To read my full Thrive Market review, steal my shopping list of over 150 items, and save additional money on your first order, visit thehealthinvestment.com slash thrivemarket, or just click through the link in the show notes. All right, it's time to hear from Dr. Bailey again. I hope you enjoy this episode. Simonson, Certified Nutrition Coach and your host of the Health Investment Podcast. If you're ready to look and feel your best without any confusion, frustration, or stress, you're in the right place. Each week, I interview experts and share no-nonsense, research-backed tips so that you can finally lose weight for good, eat healthy long-term, have the high energy you crave, and feel like a million bucks. I'm so happy you're here with me today. Don't forget to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. Hi, Dr. Bailey. Thank you so much for joining me again on the Health Investment Podcast. Oh, it's my pleasure. I've been looking forward to it. I was saying off air that our first episode together, I got so much feedback. I mean, my mom texted me about it. I had friends texting me, people messaging me on Instagram. And I just think there's so much confusion out there about what we should be doing with our skin and all these conflicting messages. And so it's just such a pleasure to be able to sit down with you and hear from an expert and to just set the record straight on a lot of these kind of weird fringe fads, I guess, that are out there. Well, there are fringe fads out there. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> and skincare, it lends itself to that. For sure. I know on the first episode, you went into your background in depth. And so people can definitely go reference that 
first episode to hear more about you. And I will put a link in the show notes to that episode. But can you just in a couple sentences or a minute or so, just give us a little bit of background on who you are? Well, I have been a dermatologist since 1987. And I I, after training and uh, doing a stint in academics at UC San Diego, I went into private practice and worked full time, you know, well over 200,000 skin exams, became popular quickly because I'm pretty approachable and I take the time to educate people and I just love fixing busy skin. I love making skin pretty. I love helping people with the basic common skin problems that we share and giving them kind of a path to get their skin into good shape when they want awesome. to. And so I, I it, it resonated well with patients in my community. And I, over time, gradually perfected explaining dermatology in layperson's terms that were actionable. Mm, and so that's I who that. I am. And that's why everybody loves you. <laughs> and I love what I do with them. That's great. Yeah. And I think I have never seen a dermatologist that has done huh. that for me. My dermatologists, right. I go in for the annual skin check because I have very <clears throat> fair skin. And that's the extent of it. They check my skin. Yes. It seems like they only have 10 minutes with me. Yes, they if do. If I throw another question out there, like after our last episode, I asked about getting a prescription for retinol. And it was, first of all, she kind of was judgy and asked why I wanted it. Yes. I said for anti-aging stuff. And then she said, well, I guess I can get it for you, but it's not covered by insurance. I said, Sorry. that's fine. And it was also, I thought it was going to be astronomically yeah. expensive because the way she was talking about it and it was $35, which I know I don't think is a big deal, but she was making it seem like it. And it was just this weird kind of afterthought at the end of the visit. And then she was out of the room. And I think that's how all of my dermatologists have been. So I are you unique out there helping people with their skin? Or like, how do we find a dermatologist like you, basically? It, I am a bit of an outlier. I you know, People describe to me as sort of like, if you had a sister that was a dermatologist, I would be that person. That person mm -hmm. that you can just sort of ask while you're, you know, hanging out at Thanksgiving, or you can give them a call and say, hey, look, I, I have this question. It sounds kind of stupid, or I have this thing growing on me. I feel kind of embarrassed about it, but hey, could you look at it, or could you explain it to me? So I am a bit of a girl next door or, or sister or best friend outlier. Okay. I am. It seems I admit like it. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and that's why I was really popular. I mean, within five years of opening my practice, I had to close to new patients. You could only get in if you knew someone who asked for you to get into my uh, practice because I couldn't wow. have more patients than I could see back. I couldn't yeah. have my waiting list be so long and then not serve the people that I've already made a commitment to. So, right. So yeah, I am an outlier. Wow. I admit Yeah, it. I guess the way you described it, you're the sister or the friend. I think my dermatologist yeah. is the mean girl. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. Or they're nice. just, or they're, yeah, or they're just so popular or, or important, self-important that they do what I call the drive-by exam, which is basically they look at you from the door. Their hand is still on the door while they're looking at you. They can't be bothered with your kind of, you know, mundane questions of why do I have dry skin on my eyebrows? Why does my you know, skin fold, why do my skin folds itch? What's this tag in my armpit? You know, let alone anti-aging skincare and, and explaining to you your skincare routine in basic terms. 
Yes. Right. And or if you didn't even bring these things up in your skin exam and they go, oh, by the way, you have dry skin in your eyebrows. Do you know that's not actually dry skin? That's dandruff. And I bet your head itches. Oh, yeah, my head does itch. Oh, yeah, I am intolerant to my hair care products. I would bring it up because I like everyone to be perfect and neat. Right. So I would bring it up. I would see that and I would take extra time and I didn't do 10-minute skin exams. For me, a 10-minute exam would be a return wart freeze. Oh, okay. I did I did 15 at 30 and 45-minute exams. Did I make as much money as regular dermatologists? No. Did I have a super satisfying career that fit my personality? Absolutely. Mm, right. Yeah. So when rewarding. you got me, you got me. Yeah, that's yeah. that's great. And I think yeah. I get the pressure that physicians are under and yeah. You know, to have the 10, 15 minute appointments. And this happens aside from dermatologists with primary mm -hmm. care physicians or OBGYNs with everybody. It can feel very rushed. And so it is so amazing when you find somebody like you, if you can get into these people, because yeah. it's so few and far between now. Do yeah. you recommend, so someone like me, for example, that their dermatologist is doing the quick skin check, that's mm -hmm. it. Do you recommend that people find an esthetician in their area? Yeah, for, I like, do. A good one. But then yes. how do you find a good one? Well, that's tricky. So it may be that they're in the office of your dermatologist, so they may be sort of a medical esthetician that are sort of trained. I trained my estheticians to 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 help people that had tricky skin issues like seborrhea, like rosacea, photoaging, sensitive skin, who were on retinoids, making their skin sensitive in the in the pursuit of reversing photo damage. Um, so a medical esthetician is a great opportunity for you to kind of access the dermatology science without accessing the dermatologist. You could also look for a dermatologist outside of your health plan that you pay cash to and that you go in and, you know, a lot of people paid cash for me. I mean, they, they would come from their HMOs where they really did literally get the 10 minute and, you know, one problem at a time and they would pay cash to come in and have a comprehensive approach from me. Okay. So, and then a non, you know, a non-MD supervised esthetician, there are good ones out there. But again, you kind of listen and you use your gut. Yeah. You know, does this person seem like they're just trying to sell me a lot of product? Are they speaking in intelligent and coherent fashion or are they making stuff up? You know, does it sound kind of funny? Mm -hmm. You know, not sciencey. Right. You know, and, and I mean, that said, not every, you know, estheticians don't need a bachelor's degree and they certainly don't need any scientific training. They, they're vocationally trained, but some of them are really, really good at it. And you can, you can just you can use your gut. Okay. You know, I looked at, I mean, it's a grooming thing, you know, yeah. it's grooming. We're all inherent groomers. We're primates. We're groomers. Some people like it more than others. Are they doing things really well? Is their room clean? Do they seem hygienic? Are there, you know, their wax pot is a great place to look. Are there hairs all over their wax pot? <laughs> if they want to go lancing your milia, which state by state, the regulations vary on whether or not they can break the um, skin barrier, you know, the and expose you to bloodborne pathogens. You know, what are they using to do that? What's their sterilization technique? You know, are they cold soaking, you know, are they in a medical office? They often are putting the stuff through the surgical autoclave. So, you know, you kind of look at that stuff. How does okay. this place look and feel? I did a an extensive Google search last time after I spoke with you <laughs> and found this esthetician who was trained in France. Oh, 
tried to get in and then she emailed and said she had no openings because she, like you, had all these returning clients. Yes. And she said, I'll put you on the wait list, but it would probably be weeks or months, if ever. And so then that just made me want to see her more, of course. Of course, <laughs> actually. Yeah. So I got an email, I think it was two weeks ago, and she said, I have this one appointment at 10.30 a.m. on whatever day. Do you want it? And I said, yes. And so I actually <laughs> went to her yesterday. Oh. And she was fantastic. I asked her a lot of the questions I asked you on the initial podcast because I uh-huh. wanted to see how her answers matched up. Good. And she basically said verbatim ah. what you had said. Perfect. And so I think she's phenomenal. And now Good. I think I'm one of her clients now. So I think I get to go back, which is exciting. But as I was looking... I was not finding many estheticians, but I was finding facialists. So is a facialist and an esthetician the same thing? And yes, they, they should be. Again, licensing okay. requirements. So, okay. but the word esthetician, I mean, how do you even spell it? A-E-S-E-S-T, yeah. you know what I mean? Right. So it's not, that's not a common vernacular. People are, you know. Got it. Okay. So you Like I'm go- a skin doctor. Right. You know, I'm a dermatologist, but I'm a skin doctor. And then some people even ask, is a dermatologist a doctor? So people are confused about skin care specialists. Okay. So facialist is okay, but then yes. kind of do a vetting process, read reviews, see what they're up to. Make sure they're licensed. So if okay. they say they're a facialist, they need to be licensed. Just like your hairstylist must be licensed and is in California is overseen by the board of cosmetology a facialist is or esthetician is overseen by the board of cosmetology they're only allowed to do certain things in the state of california now interesting fact in nevada they can use lasers and they can do all sorts of surgical things that in california is disallowed Hmm. they can use lasers that vaporize human skin i was at a laser training course there were estheticians from Nevada there in a plastic surgeon's office who purchased the laser I purchased and were doing procedures that required smoke evacuators and created bloodborne pathogens splattering all over the wall. And they didn't know anything about bloodborne pathogens. They were using the laser without a smoke evacuator. And they're, I mean, it's a, it's a laser procedure that literally vaporizes skin like on Star Trek, only splats blood. They didn't know anything about that. Right. So, your state licensing requirements for doing different procedures varies. Okay. And you need to ask those questions. You know, you want to see the license. They have to put a license on the wall. And then do you recommend getting regular facials? Because this lady said for my skin, she could see me every six months and it would be fine. Do you recommend facials at all? Or do you recommend just going once and kind of learning about your skin and which products might help you? Or what's your philosophy on that? So it depends. It's like the question, do you need to dust your house or do you need to weed your garden? I like my garden weeded. I like my house dusted. I like things shiny and bright. I like my pores clean. I like to be well exfoliated. I love a beautiful facial where they're actually doing a whole treatment. You're getting, while your mask is curing, they're giving you a neck massage or they're doing a hand massage or your hands are in the wax thing. Why not? Right, right. Okay. And your skin always looks prettier afterwards. I mean, you look in the mirror. The beauty of the skin is you don't need an endoscope, an x-ray or 
you know, you see it, it's right there. So you look in the mirror and, and for the whole next week, do I look better or do I have a rash? Did she use something I was intolerant to? Did she go too far? Am I, you know, what's my outcome? You uh-huh. just look in the mirror and you know. Right. Okay. That's a good point. It's right there. Yeah. I've read and heard so much about exfoliation. Should we be using some type of a rough salt or sugar scrub or brush? I know they have those for exfoliating our face, or should we use some type of exfoliating acid? What is? What are your thoughts on exfoliation for the face? Well, I just told you that I like weeding my garden and dusting my house. So the answer to that question is, yes, we need, I'm doing quote marks here to the word need, <laughs> exfoliation, just like quote marks do we need Botox and we need facials. I mean, we actually need, you know, air, water, safety, food. But, you know, I love exfoliation. It brightens the skin instantly. You know, the, your dead skin cell layer is there to protect you from the environment. It is your waterproofing layer. It is not always attractive. And as we get older, it becomes duller. And some people's skin hangs on to their dead skin cells longer than other people's skin. And as we age, we're going to hang on to them longer. And when we get really old, we actually have like little snow drifts that come off of our arms and our legs because our, our natural process of exfoliation becomes, I like to say the dead skin cells become constipated. They get stuck. They're ugly. You look like that dry, flaky, old, crusty. You know, the word you say, crusty old person, you don't say crusty young teen. You say greasy, pimply young Mm. teen. But as we age, we crustify. We just get, you know, the dead skin cells don't come off. So why not help them? And then what's the best way to exfoliate your face? Well, so... There's two kinds of exfoliation. There's physical exfoliation and there's chemical exfoliation. Physical exfoliation is like you said, where you're using a scrub, you're using a um, a rough um, sponge or a brush um, or microdermabrasion in the esthetician's suite. So that's physical exfoliation. And you can do that to varying degrees, a light scrub could even be used once a day just to gently polish and exfoliate your skin. If you're going to press harder, if the granules are going to be bigger, you're not going to do it every day. You're going to do it maybe twice a week or periodically as needed when you look at your skin in the mirror and you go, ick, doesn't look good today. I'm not glowy. I don't have glowing skin. I'm going to polish it and I'm going to instantly look better. If you push too hard and you rub too hard or too long, you're going to you're going to give yourself like a, ra- a, a like a rope burn kind of a thing. That's over exfoliation. That's too much. So again, you get to look in the mirror. You get to feel your skin. You get to gauge once you get used to your skin um, how much exfoliation is good and how much is too much. Chemical exfoliation is where you're using things like alpha hydroxy acids that I like to explain. Your dead skin cells are bound together like little Legos. There's these little connectors there's one piece and then the adjacent dead cell next to it is sort of like lego connected to it and those chemical exfoliators like alpha hydroxy acids beta hydroxy acids loosen that little lego like connection so the cells can come off more easily well heck if you do that and then you do some physical exfoliation on top of that you get a really nice bright dewy look for that special day for example so chemical exfoliation is using alpha hydroxy acids beta hydroxy acids retinoids like retinol or or retin-A to loosen the cellular cohesion, the connection of your dead skin cell layer so that it comes off more readily on its own and or more readily when you use physical exfoliation. 
Hey there, health investor. I hope you're enjoying the episode. Just popping in here for a quick minute to share an exciting opportunity with you. Outside of hosting this podcast, I work as a nutrition coach specializing in sustainable weight loss. If you've been struggling to lose weight and actually keep it off, I'd love to connect with you in my group or one-on-one coaching program. Unlike restrictive, hard-to-follow diets that only provide short-term results, I help you adopt science-backed habits and an everything-in-moderation mindset so that you can lose weight permanently, feel completely in control of your cravings, have steady energy throughout the day, and stick with healthy habits long-term. To learn more about my coaching programs and apply to work with me, visit thehealthinvestment.com or follow me on Instagram at The Health Investment. Now, back to the episode. So when would you do, if you were going to use, let's say, a light scrub and an acid, would you leave the acid on your face overnight and do the light scrub in the morning? Or do you do it right when you put that on? How do you do that? So the scrubs, the scrubs are done in your in your washing step, typically. So remember, I describe, I think I told you this last time, complete skincare, four steps, yes. cleanse, correct, hydrate, protect. Typically, your physical exfoliation is in the cleansing step. Like if you were using a scrub, you're using it to wash your skin. A cleansing, a, a scrubby cleanser, a, a exfoliating sponge or brush is often used with your cleansing agent. So typically, your skin is wet. And so that happens on its own, you know, in the cleansing step. The exfoliating acids and um, retinol or retin-A are your correcting step. And so that would go after exfoliating. Caveat being, you do not want to physically exfoliate your skin and then stick on a, an acid pH alpha hydroxy acid because it will sting and you will go cleanse your skin again to get it off of your skin. So it, you learn it once. It's not the end of the world, but you go, ouch, that hurts. I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to do my acid another time, like on another day or at night. Got it. And then just because it's lemon juice on a cut. Right. And yeah, that doesn't feel good. Uh, There's a TikTok, very popular doctor named Dr. Whitney Bow, and she keeps popping up for me. And she recommends something called skin cycling. So she says Mm -hmm. you rotate through a four night cycle. And so the first night you do an exfoliating acid. The second night you do a retinol or retinoid. And then the third and fourth night, you do some type of hydrating serum like hyaluronic acid. Does that regimen have any merit or is that just bogus? It's it's a path. Um, it's a trademarked path. So skin cycling TM, just like I've got complete skincare TM. I mean, we're creative women um, with ambition. That's who we are. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> you know, yes, it's a path. I look at it a little bit differently. Remember, I've been doing this since 1987, and that's when Retin-A came to us. So through my career, I watched the evolution of the scientific studies showing the benefits of retinoids on photo-aged skin, sun-damaged skin. It's also the same period of time that um, Jean Van Scott brought us alpha-hydroxy acids. When I first started, you had to have them made up, uh, compounded by your pharmacist. There were no uh, 
commercially available ones. So we experimented on our patients and learned how to use them. And again, like I said, skin, you get to see it. It's not rocket science. Look in the mirror, take a look at your patients. You, you can see how they look. So you can see how it's working. And so I have the benefit of having been through that evolutionary process. And I know that from experience and from the studies, the original studies, with retinoids, you want to use them ideally every night. You want to get up to the highest concentration, and then you want to hold there for 18 months. Then you can go every third night and, and maintain benefits. So skin cycling, yes, but not necessarily in the beginning. Interesting. I also, yeah, I also know that you can, once you're up on your on your retinoid, so first and foremost, you want to choose a retinoid. Retinoids have the best science behind what they do for the skin. And they there's your skin has special retinoid receptors that talk to your skin. I mean, it's like custom design. Retinoids are vitamin A, basically vitamin A derivatives. You want to be using a retinoid, retinol or prescription retin-A. And once you get that up and running, you're on the highest concentration you can use every night. You've held it for 18 months. Then you can start dabbling in skin cycling. But your, your first job is start low with the retinoid, start, you know, like I would start people like every third night, then every other night, then every night if their skin gets irritated, which is the retinoid dermatitis that actually happens from retinoids, you have to back off because if you keep sticking it on your skin, it's lemon juice on a cut, you're going to get all irritated and be unhappy and say it doesn't work for you and, and miss out on a great opportunity. Mm -hmm. So you, you, wor you work your way up to the highest strength your skin will let you use and then you hold it there for 18 months, you can add an alpha hydroxy acid on top of that if you're a lucky person with tolerant skin. Otherwise, you can try adding the alpha hydroxy, meaning glycolic, in the morning. Um, and why not use a hyaluronic acid serum every day also? I mean, there's, they're, they're totally compatible. And if you're in a climate where it's dry, and your skin has transepidermal water loss, meaning your skin doesn't want to hold on to that water. It wants to give it to the atmosphere because you're not in Hawaii or Tahiti or Florida. Why not bind the water inside your skin so that it doesn't go give itself to the atmosphere because you're going to be plumper, dewier, prettier. So I, the cycling, is it's a path that if that's the structure that works for somebody, okay, fine. But it's not the maximal way to, that I personally would do it. It seems like instead of either or where you're alternating nights, you're saying right. both and kind of yes. get to a point where you tolerate retinoid, but at the same time, yes. you could be doing hyaluronic acid after the retinoid. But usually before it's water-based. So oh, we before. lay thick. So, or okay. water-based to um, not water-based. So, the hyaluronic acid serums are typically water-based, and and they soak right in. They're carrier. Hyaluronic acid is a carrier molecule, so it's going to bring stuff into your skin better. So you know, even some of the other things you're doing, if they're antioxidants or you know vitamin C, it'll bring it in to your skin better. So I have people cleanse, so they get the schmutz off, and they can exfoliate in that step. Then correct. So hyaluronic acid would be a water-based thing. It would go on first. I put my hyaluronic acid on right after washing. Then I put my other correctors on top of that. So the retinoid or retinol, you know, the retinol or tretinoin, that typically is going to have um, some things that are not entirely water-based in them, like some silicones, some dimethicone. So, or or even in the old days, it has a mineral oil in it. So, you know, that goes on on top of that. 
And then if you don't have enough moisturizer on, you put a moisturizer on top of that. Okay. So in the morning you could do the cleanse, the hyaluronic acid, and then would you do some type of correct in the morning? I would, you know, if your skin is tolerant, I I would consider an alpha hydroxy acid if it doesn't sting too much. And if you hadn't just exfoliated. Yeah. If you okay. just exfoliated, you're a little too exfoliated to stick an acid pH product on. I mean, those those products have a pH that's gnarly, and yeah. it's lemon juice on a cut. If you've over, if you've kind of over exfoliated, um, I love antioxidants, and green tea is my favorite. Antioxidants got really good science behind it, and every complexion can tolerate it, and it quiets down some of the common skin problems that people suffer from when you spend the time and you look carefully at their skin. You'll see a lot of people have, like I was telling you before we were recording, that dry skin on the eyebrows and a little bit of dryness here. Well, that's not dry skin. It's around the nose. It's dandruff. Mm. A lot of people have, it's called seborrheic dermatitis. It's common. It's a complexion spoiler. A Mm. lot of people have a little bit of rosacea. It's a complexion spoiler. So green tea helps to counter the inflammatory, the inflammation, the redness, the inflammatory process of those very common skin conditions, the inflammation of acne, you know, redness around zits. It helps to calm in that, calm that down. Hmm. So I would, I would always use an, a green tea antioxidant product. And I, lay, I, I layer that on top of my hyaluronic acid serum. And I do it every day. Okay, and then and I've watched people do it for years, and I can tell you that it's it makes a huge difference in, you know, even sun damaged skin has a sort of red redness inflammation to it. That green tea, it's gone. That redness is gone. And then if you're doing that in the morning, then after that you would do the sunscreen or the moisturizer and then the sunscreen. Moisturizer and then sunscreen, and and recognize that. Different people need different amounts of moisturizing. I mean, if you're an oil factory and your T-zone's shiny in five minutes after washing your face, you don't need a moisturizer there. You just made sebum. Mm. That's moisturizing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's your, your, you're making your own moisturizer. But, you know, if you've got drier skin, then you're going to need to add a product that moisturizes because it helps to support your skin barrier to prevent, as I was mentioning, that transepidermal water loss, that water going out. And, um, and, and, and and it also supports the structural integrity of your barrier, which is a lipid and protein, like like a little brick wall. Um, so most people need to put a moisturizer on their skin, and then you put your sunscreen on. Your sunscreen may have enough moisturizing in it that it's a it's a two in one. And then, but then my esthetician said this. I'm actually curious to see your thoughts. She said you don't really have to worry about moisturizing your nose that much and just put sunscreen on your nose because your nose doesn't really wrinkle or you just kind of create maybe more sebum or it's the sebum. It's the sebum. So remember I just said your T-zone. Well, that's, you know, for the, yeah. So you have the most um, sebaceous glands in that area and your nose is going to moisturize itself. Sebum is an excellent moisturizer. You don't have to moisturize your nose. And, you know, a lot of people, especially in the, in the you know, the teens to upwards of 50s, um, have schmutz in their pores called sebaceous filaments and clogged pores in their nose. They don't like it. Nobody likes it. And so, you know, you don't need to add more oil to your nose. Right. Okay. Interesting. Um, yeah. Blackhead strips, I'd love to know about. Yeah. Are those something we should use or are those just a gimmick? 
um, they can actually pull out sebaceous filaments. So sebaceous filaments are not blackheads. They are, it's a term that was coined originally in the real scientific literature, but then Reddit picked it up big time. <laughs> so it trends on Reddit. Uh -oh. And sebaceous <laughs> filaments are actually the schmutz in the pores, you know? The dead skin cells make like a little column and it, they all get filled up with schmutz. It's not a true blackhead, but you can see them when you look at somebody's nose, especially in their teens to their 50s, you can see that pores look like they've got this schmutzy stuff. There's these little black dots in them, but they're not true hard blackheads, which are called open comedones, which is part of the acne process. It's not acne. It's just clogged pore debris. Those strips are fun for that. So, And, you know, we're all primates. We love doing stuff with our skin. Why not? So long as you don't yeah. rip your skin off, if you're so exfoliated yeah. and you're actually ripping off your skin, that would be a cautionary note. I wouldn't do it then. Another kind of trend going viral. I think, I don't know if you've heard of the show Euphoria. No. That's on, on HBO. It's, it's No, I don't get younger. HBO. Oh, it's really extreme. I mean, it's, I, I wouldn't, probably recommend it to a lot of people, but it's, it's this kind of crazy show. But anyway, one of the actresses from it has this viral video online about how she does slugging. Her skin's really beautiful, uh -huh. but yeah. she does slugging, which I think is, if I understand correctly, putting some type of petroleum based, something like Vaseline over occlusive. your moisturizer. Yeah, okay, putting in occlusive. occlusive. Yeah. And then she's, she says she's not an expert in skin, but that it helps kind of keep all the moisture in. Yeah. Is that something that we should be doing like at night? Uh, okay, should. I'm not sure about should, but it's, okay. there, is, there is merit to it. So slugging is from K-Beauty, and it's that it rem the stuff they stuck on their face reminds them of snail slime. Never mind that snail slime's not occlusive. It's just slimy. So... The occlusive aspect of slugging is that you're putting something water impermeable on your skin after they, they fail to mention that it, it or they fail to emphasize that it really needs to be after you've washed your skin. So you've just loaded up your skin with a bunch of moisture. Then you put the occlusive on there, which prevents trans epidermal water loss. Remember, I've used that term, I think, three times now. That's where your your skin's waters exit your skin and donate themselves to the atmosphere. It's just the gradient of hydration. You know, if you've got more water in your skin than the atmosphere does, the gradient is going to pull the water out of your skin and donate it to the air. Well, you stop that process. Oh, usually it's done at night because it's very ugly when you're slugging. You look like yeah. you've got snail slime on your face. It's very messy. So you have to put like a towel down on your pillowcase and you're going to get it on oh. everything. And in the morning, your skin is super hydrated and looks plump and dewy because you are you didn't donate your water to the atmosphere while you slept. We have used it in dermatology since I've been in dermatology and way before that. It's called occlusive therapy. And so we would take people with really bad barrier, uh, skin barrier disruptive problems like you know, super bad psoriasis, super bad eczema, you know, where their skin's just a train wreck. And we would do this to them. We would pour water on them or stick them in a bath or shower and then just, you know, lube them down with Vaseline petroleum jelly and do it, you know, every, you know, at least twice a day, at least AM and PM and typically using cooler water to get the inflammation out. And we would repair their barrier. It takes weeks to repair a perturbed, a really perturbed barrier, but done, you know, overnight when you want your skin to look really good the next day, it's fine. 
I take it and I modify it on a daily basis. So instead of letting your skin get to the point where it's super crepey and dry and slugging is going to make a dramatic improvement, why not on a daily basis put enough um, occlusive on your skin to keep it looking good all the time? So mm. I, as we get older, we will need more moisturizer. And so I like using a face oil, uh, I call them booster oils, and put a few drops of that into the moisturizer, mix it together, and that is more occlusive than a lighter textured moisturizer might be. You may find you need more moisturizer on the periphery of your skin, less in the T-zone. So you can dial in the right amount of occlusive agent, lipids, synthetic dimethicone, uh, cymethicone products, or petroleum jelly or mineral oil are the occlusive agents one would use for slugging or moisturizing, hydrating your skin, preventing transepidermal water loss. You can dial it in on a daily basis so you never get so horribly crepey and dehydrated that an episode of, you know, a, a treatment of slugging makes a, a ginormous improvement in your skin. That said, yeah. if you do get your skin in a bad shape, slugging may well help. I, you know, right. It's occlusive okay. therapy. I, 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 I love skincare. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, you could try it. Why not? I, I did it actually after I, I had, to, I was uh, interviewed for an article. I can't remember. I think it was on, it was one of the, one of the major um, journal, uh, e um, internet uh, media outposts and, um, or outlets. And they interviewed me on slugging. So I, you know, did some, you know, digging around on the internet about who's saying what about slugging. And then I thought, I thought, okay, I'm just going to try it on myself. What the heck? It was nice. It was, a, it was very messy. You know, you yeah. got to, you know, when we would do it for patients in dermatology, we'd tell them, put the old sheets on. You got to put a towel down, you know, wear the ugly jammies. I mean, we'd ruin people's pajamas, you know, <laughs> I mean, it ruins the bed linens. Okay. Just, well, that's good to know. That's good to know. Mess. You mentioned kind of you already referenced Korean skincare, but I'm interested. I know there's those Korean sheet masks. Yeah. Do those work or is there anything special about Korean skincare or is it just that it's marketed really well? Uh, you know, it's, I love skincare. You're talking to someone who 10 steps isn't going to be too much for me. I you know, it's Korean skin, K-skin care is 10 steps. And sure, I'm game. Why not? I probably do at least eight on my own personal face. Um, so I, it, the devil's in the details. If you're putting 10 steps of lousy skincare products on filled with allergens and irritants that don't match your skin type, you're going to get in trouble. If you're doing products that match your skin that are not filled with allergens and irritants, then you may get really good results out of it. Um, and that goes with the sheet masks. So the sheet masks, it's devil's in the details. It's always in the details. Um, you know, we like to kind of broad brush these topics, but the devil's in the details, which is why a 10-minute dermatology visit is inadequate to really teach someone how to care for their unique individual skin. Um, mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, the sheet masks, they're often made out of something that prevents transepidermal water loss and is occlusive. Occlusive therapy is also good for pushing drug into the skin. So when we want to push drug into the skin, we put the drug on and then we occlude it. We either stick Vaseline on or frankly, we stick an occlusive dressing, which is kind of like a sheet mask, except they were even more occlusive. So 
it, it increases transdermal drug delivery. If that's your retinol, if that's some antioxidants, if that's hyaluronic acid, it's going to help push it through. But if it's a bunch of perfume and stupid stuff, citrus, that doesn't belong on your skin unless you'd like a really good rash and a lifelong allergy to citrus. You know, so it devils in the details of what you put yep. underneath your sheet mask and the quality of what's in your sheet mask. Yeah. That makes sense. What about other masks? I know there's clay masks, seaweed masks. Is there any I that you love like? clay you like masks. the masks? Oh, uh, clay. No, okay. I love clay. I love clay because clay um, kind of pulls. It's a pulling agent. And so it'll pull stuff out of your pores. And after you do a clay mask, your pores look tighter. It's pretty. Your skin feels soft. Your pores look tighter. But again, devil's in the details. You can overdo a clay mask and dry your skin out too much, dehydrate your skin. So you want, you know, you want to be careful with it. And, um, you know, there's so many different, there's infinite selection of products out there. You got to try one and, and find the one you like and then stick with it or have your esthetician customize it for you. Mm-hmm. We used to customize it in my aesthetic room. We had all the, um, all the different kinds of clays and we would mix stuff together depending upon a person's skin type. And my esthetician would ask me and I would know the person cause I knew what their skin problem was. And so we would, it was super fun. Oh, I, yeah. I, I hired from clinical practice. Thank you, cancer. But, um, yeah. <laughs> so, but when I did it, it was, you know, it was really fun to customize for people. Right. Yeah. What about there are, um, Again, it's all good marketing, right? But things will yeah. say they can reduce your pore size. Is that possible? Like you just mentioned through something like a clay mask, maybe temporarily, but can you ever sort of permanently reduce your pore size or are you just born with the pores you're born with? Um, you know, you're not supposed to be able to change the caliber of your pore size. That said, when we put people on Accutane for acne, their pores are forever finer. Hmm. Um, when you use a clay mask, your pores appear smaller for a while. I'll take it. You know, if I have gaping large, as we would say, patchless pores filled with sebaceous filaments, heck, I'd be more than happy to have glass skin with, you know, very minimally obstruct, uh, uh, minimally, um, uh, appearing pores. I mean, I'll take it temporarily. Um, if you get your pores cleaned out, they look they look smaller than if they've got that black dot of schmutz in there. So, yeah, you can make your pores look smaller, but technically you're not supposed to be able to really change the size of your pores on a permanent basis. Although, you okay. know, again, thinking outside of thinking, just sort of thinking off the top of my head, when we do IPL, intense pulse light treatments on people, their pores look smaller for a while. When you Botox somebody's forehead, it definitely uh, shrinks this appearance of the pore while the Botox is there because when you're not moving your muscles and also there's a little muscle attached to each um, pore, um, that relaxes. And so, you know, Botox will make your pores appear a lot smaller until it wears off. So, you know, it's like Cinderella and the ball. She looked awful good yeah. before midnight. <laughs> that is true. That is true. Is. Um, a final question I want to ask is, what about if somebody's listening to this and they are on a budget? Do you have any favorite drugstore products or brands that you refer people to? Yeah. And, and what's at the drugstore varies depending on your drugstore. I mean, they're starting to get a lot higher end lines. Um, you know, Aven 
A-V-E-N-E is a great line. La Roche is a great line. Um, uh, some of the Aveeno products are, are good. Some of the Aveeno formulations are older, however. Um, and some of the Aveeno formulations tend to claim a little bit more than they're delivering, but, but they tend to be good. Um, CeraVe tends to be okay. Um, Cetaphil tends to be okay. So it, it is possible. But again, if you're on a budget, it's important to learn your ingredients and customize them for your skin mm -hmm. and then get out your your readers, read the label on the products and look and see what's in there. And I usually tell people start at the bottom. That's where the bad news is. That's where they stuck the fragrance. That's where their preservative system is. Then you look, so you look at that and that you can, you can call a lot of products that way. You see parabens in there, you know, isochlorothiazolide, a bunch of, you know, parfum spelled the French way. Oh, just put it down, put down mm -hmm. parfum. Um, and then look at the, then look at the top because they list them in order of uh, concentration. Look at the top, then you'll see kind of what they're, they're you know, they may claim that they're, they've got, you know, some botanicals in there, but you'll see the top is really dimethicone, water dimethicone, and you're like, okay, this is a dimethicone product, so it's going to be more of an occlusive. And then you can look in the middle, and that's where some of the story uh, that they claim on the label is, you know, they've got, oh, you know, calendula or tea tree oil or whatever in there but so you're you know you you get rid of it if it's got the bad guys in it they're at the bottom you look at the top that's where the act is and then the middle is kind of the other stuff okay so you have to learn as my esthetician said yesterday you don't pay the same price for caviar as you do for sand i think that was what she said in terms of skincare <laughs> she's like caviar is more tuna. expensive yeah tuna yeah canned so, tuna that's yeah. a better, yeah, she's French. I think, you know, there's a yes. bit of a language barrier. And so yes. that's that's a good one. You don't pay the same price for caviar as for canned tuna. And yes. basically she was saying, you know, if you can afford certain skincare, a lot of the times you're getting kind of more bang for your buck. Not always, but. Um, you are. I mean, look at the benzene yeah. in sunscreen issue that came up last year. You know, the, the raw ingredients where the product's made, that all really matters. And plus, if your esthetician's selling it, it passed her muster. Right. True. So she's that's... your personal shopper. Yes, that's what yeah. I, I always struggle when I go to a um, hairstylist or somebody, you know, because yeah. you don't want to feel like you're just products are being pushed on you the whole time. Yeah. And so there's that pushy feeling, but then also she yeah. was just educating me and then saying, you know, I've vetted thousands of things and exactly. this is one I would recommend. And so I just took her recommendations and I felt very comfortable with it yes. versus when somebody's like, you have to buy this or else type of thing. Yes. Um, and so it really kind of depends, at least for me, how people yes. are approaching it. Well, but... she read that label and then she tried it on people and she sees how it works. And so that's the same, you know, I mean, I have an e-commerce site that sells uh, physician quality stuff, uh, products that are in physician you know, level skincare routines. And I am the one that does the label analysis. I'm the one who sees how it works on people. I'm the one who crafts it into skincare routines for given goals. So you're coming to me to get my um, uh, filtration process for deeming something worthy of your time or not worthy of your time. Same with Whitney Bow. Same sense. with your esthetician. Yeah, you know you're using you're <laughs> right. you're using our expertise, and then you're deciding to support us. You know, it's like public radio. If you listen to NPR, support NPR. 
support public yes. radio. You know? Great. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Because I asked her, oh, you know, when I run out of these products, she's not very close to me. So I was saying, you know, what's the best yeah. thing to do? And she said, if you want to support my small business, let yes. me know and I'll pack up a bag for you and you can swing by and pick it up. And I said, that's exactly. such a good point. I will yeah. definitely do it's, that. It's like that. It's like NPR. If you listen to NPR, you should support public radio. Yeah. Even if no, it's only $5 a month. I mean, I sound like a, you know, but so if, if I'm helping you, I mean, you'd be surprised on my website, I get a ton of traffic. People come in to me for information and or journalists come in, quote me and don't give me a backlink. Um, mm. But if they're coming into my, they're, they're coming into my site and they're, they're um, learning from me and I'm becoming a value to them. It's very nice that they support my business and my staff. Right. You know, nobody's getting, I'm not getting rich. Your esthetician's not getting rich. Right. I don't know if Whitney <laughs> Bowe's getting rich, you know, but <laughs> basically you're supporting, you're supporting what you value. Yeah. Not, that's yeah. a great point. And that's a perfect kind of lead in to mention in the show notes, I will put links to your website. I know you have a Facebook presence, Instagram, Pinterest, and YouTube. So I, I will link to all of those things and people can thank find you. you in all the places. And I just want to thank you again so much for your time, not just once, but two times. I can't wait to share this episode with my audience. I know, again, everybody's going to learn a ton from you. Thank you. It's super fun for me to talk with you, Brooke. So, hey, anytime. Well, that's all for today. Thanks again for joining me here on the Health Investment Podcast. I'm so grateful for each and every one of my listeners. On your way out, remember to hit subscribe so that you never miss an episode. See you next week. All content in this podcast was created for general informational purposes only by a non-physician. None of the content should serve as a substitute for professional medical advice, treatment, or diagnosis. Always consult a qualified health provider with any questions regarding a medical condition and before making changes to your diet, lifestyle, and or exercise programs. Do not disregard any professional medical advice you have received or postpone seeking such advice because of something you heard on this podcast.